The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 563, for Sunday, July 26th, 2015. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show that's been described as car talk for Apple geeks. You send in your questions, we answer your questions. We also like to share our tips and your tips and all that fun stuff we find. And sometimes we do cool stuff found. I don't think we have any of that today, so your wallets can rest. But uh, but we will get to that again. We've got actually some things lingering from the most recent Cool Stuff Found episode that we'll get to. This episode is sponsored in part by iMazing at iMazing.com, the excellent software for managing your iOS devices in a way that iTunes won't let you. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Also, Squarespace.com at Squarespace.com slash MGG, where you can uh, build a website and build it beautiful. We'll talk more about that in a little while, too, here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here uh, for the past week, fighting the forces of evil, which I think we may talk about a little bit. This is John F. Braun and here in Taipei. Ta- oh, am I back? Yeah, I'm here in Durham, <laughs> New Hampshire. I made it back in one piece. Pilot Pete, glad to be with you guys. How goes it, Pilot Pete? Oh, it's good. Been on the road for two weeks, running around Asia, enjoying it. All right. Well, good yeah, for you. That's yeah, good, man. Yeah. yeah. How goes it with you, Mr. Braun? Well, like I told you, Dave, I, I, I spent a lot of this week fighting the forces of evil. I know. I like it. It's good. It's good. Let's uh, let's get right to it. Let's dive right in, and we'll start with Bob, and we'll see where this gets us. Bob writes, uh, actually, Bob, well, yeah, Bob said, where am I with Bob here? I've got the wrong Bob up. No wonder I'm all confused. He says, I've been a Mac user since 85, and yet still find myself in a stupid is as stupid does situation like this one. Bob, nothing is stupid here. Uh, He says, how to eliminate entries and groups on an iPhone 5 and sync new contacts. The situation is that my wife has an old iPhone 5, and I thought I had wiped it before giving it to her, but my contacts, including groups, still appear on the iPhone. My wife has two Apple IDs due to a security breach that happened a while back, but she still wants to receive mail from the old one. Uh, I've set up a user account on my MacBook Pro for syncing and backups. I do have Wi-Fi backup turned on. That user account is set up under her original Apple ID And the iPhone 5 is set up with her newest Apple ID. I've connected the iPhone 5 to my wife's account on the MacBook Pro and performed a backup in a sync. After this, the contacts still include all my data. Her data is there as well, but is listed as a separate group named with her old Apple ID. What should I do to rectify this problem? Should I wipe the iPhone 5? My concern is that when I restore from a backup, I'll bring back all my contacts data. She doesn't have much other data or apps, so I could just reinstall stuff and start from scratch. My wife is new to using a smartphone, so she doesn't use it for much more than calls and music. The contacts issue didn't become a real problem until we purchased a new vehicle that had built-in Bluetooth. When I pair the phone, of course, it sends all my contacts, and that's not what she wants. All right, so... Yeah, this is an interesting one. I have a couple of ideas. We'll pass it around here. We'll see if we'll see if there's if there's anything we can do to get this Sunday started here for us and solve your problem for you, Bob. My first idea is 
sync everything, yeah, including your contacts, to her iCloud account, which may have already happened, right? Because you you put them on the phone. Um, And then let her Mac sync those too. Because once they're on her Mac, you can bulk delete contacts from there. Bulk deleting contacts from your iOS device is not uh, not the easiest thing to do. But bulk deleting from the Mac is relatively simple. So that's one way uh, of doing it. Back up first, uh, because as you probably already feel in your gut, this is an inherently risky process. But uh, but once you delete the contacts from your Mac and the groups and all of that stuff, uh, it should then sync through iCloud and back down to her uh, her iPhone and which will sync the deletes and everything is gone. That's probably the easiest way. And I think that's that's probably going to solve it for you. If you don't like that idea or for some reason that doesn't work, back up her phone uh, first, perhaps archiving off uh, your her old backup, uh, which you can do by going into iTunes Hold down the option key and go into, go into uh, let's see, preferences or iTunes preferences, devices, and then you'll see all the backups that are in there. If you hold down the, uh, did I say the option key? I think I meant control. Hold down the control key and click on any one of those backups. You'll see the option to archive it. All it does is change the name of it and adds the date. And then it, it will never overwrite that backup. So you've got an old backup you can save and then, um, and then you can move forward. So back it up. And then uh, you could try bulk deleting this stuff live, but you know, um, with with something like iMazing, which actually we'll we'll talk about in a in a minute here. But iMazing uh, allows you to manipulate your backups. Uh, it used to let you delete stuff directly on the, the device. Apple's put some security stuff in place, which is fine. iMazing lets you dig in and and delete the uh, stuff from the backups, and then you restore the modified backup to your phone and it inherits all the changes that you made with iMazing. So that's another way to do it. But, but in this case, I really think the first option of just deleting um, from your Mac in that, you know, kind of sandboxed user or her user account actually is, is totally fine. So I, that's, that's what I would do. John, you have any thoughts on this? Absolutely. Because I've been through this, Dave. So there are a number of options here. One, not surprisingly, Apple has a handy dandy little article here that can help you deal with this sort of thing. And I've actually been through this, Dave. And sometimes it can get, you may have to go through multiple iterations to get this to work here, but I, but I have an article here. Um, it's called, If You See Duplicate Contacts After Setting Up iCloud Contacts. And it basically gives you the steps that you want to go through to try to resolve this. Okay. And I've had to do this. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that if you are in contacts, now typically when I have problems with contacts, Dave, I deal with them in the contacts app on OS 10. Yeah, right, right. And there are a couple of important, um, selections. So, so one is when you open contacts in the card menu, you will see, look for duplicates. Can't hurt to do that. It will then help you try to manage. Yeah, but her problem duplicates. isn't duplicates. It's that she just wants all of his or contacts. Under, out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, then what you said, yeah, the the the, the groups uh, would, would make more sense. But um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we're both thinking of the same thing. Is just go to the do the work on the Mac. It, it it you have far more options, and and frankly, the one that's important is select multiple and delete. And that's the you know, so you're not trying to delete six hundred faster that way when you're deleting hundreds. You yes. Know? Yeah. Exactly. Is, is this a, 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 
cut me off if I'm wrong, but is this the same thing? I, I remember asking you in Chicago briefly about, I had a, an abbreviation set in a keyboard shortcut. And no matter how many times I delete it, it keeps coming back. So it's kind of stuck in there. Is the same thing happening? Well, hopefully that's not happening here. It's that it's that simply she synced initially to his account and and his contacts got on there. And so now his contacts are kind of intermingled in her in her world. And he just wants them out. So hopefully they hopefully when he deletes them on the Mac, they don't get put back on the Mac from iCloud. Hopefully right. they get deleted from, you know, the Mac syncs the change to iCloud, deletes it there, and, and, and so on it, and so Then forth. it's done. Then it's, yeah. And then it's done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. But to finish what I was saying, so there are two, I think, important things in contacts on OS X in the card menu that you may want to visit, even if you don't have the, this exact sure. problem, but one, like I mentioned, is look for duplicates. The other is, and I've done this too, sometimes what will happen is you'll get uh, duplicate cards and there is a merge selected cards option as well mm. which may make sense if say you have some data and someone else with maybe a different account or group has some data and you decide well why are they separate yep. L- let me merge them and I've done that because oh, again totally. sometimes I've updated a card on one device and not or, or one platform and not another and all of a sudden I realize well it makes no sense to have two cards so let's uh, let's merge them the other thing I want to touch on Dave is that as you mentioned, please, 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 um, we, we may have mentioned in the past that making backups is very good. And if you want to make a backup of your contacts, in contacts on the Mac, you go to the file menu, you say export. And I think probably, well, there's two options. One is export vCard, but I think the, the better one is probably export contacts archive. And that will be a snapshot of contacts as it's seen on that machine. And uh I think it's done underneath the covers if you do a time machine backup, but it, it's nice, I think, to explicitly do it every now and then um, just to be safe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with making sure the backups are uh, are working properly. That's yeah, that's a good thing. In uh, in our chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream, uh, we'll run for or sorry, Mac Tech Freak suggests to go simply to iCloud dot com and delete things there i'm looking quickly to make sure and you can you can you, i mean you can go see your contacts there the question is can you bulk delete from here and the answer is yes you can so uh you can bulk select and then delete from there so that's uh can you delete from there Did well you just delete all your contacts Dave? i could uh, yeah, yeah, yeah i gotta be careful Whoops. of this um you know i'm not convinced that you can bulk delete from here i can multi-select but i cannot bulk delete so i think you're stuck doing it on the mac which is not a horrible thing because you have one so it kind of makes sense though because you don't want to get rid of stuff and yeah, but it is nice to be able to go and manipulate yeah. on Apple's servers. Yeah, you yeah know. that's true. That's yeah, yeah. true. It's so. just, it, it, when you start thinking about it, sync is hard. I mean, it's like the theory of relativity to make, you know, yes. what do you really want to do here? Well, yeah, what, what is your intent? Yeah, yes. they have to guess your intention with sync uh, yeah. in some places. Yeah, sync is sync is hard. And and that that's actually, uh, to take us down a brief tangent here, that's something to bear in mind when dealing with uh, third-party apps that sync it, their data or apps that sync its data with um, with iCloud. And everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, the nice part about a developer using iCloud is you get sync for free. That is true. But what you don't get is conflict resolution for free. And that is really, really hard. And each developer needs to implement it individually 
for each app and correctly for each app, which requires a lot of testing. And so when you stop and say, hey, you know, I wonder why they don't do this. They get sync for free. Why don't they just, you know, all you got to do is plug in this one line of code. And it's true. You would. And then if you make changes, you have no idea. The dev would even have no idea what would happen. So so bear that in mind. It's just one of those things. I hear people say it sometimes. It's like, "Eh, you know what? Yeah, you don't necessarily want just the free sync stuff. You know what? It's it's worth exactly what you pay for it. So moving on to Tom, he says, I recently purchased an iPhone five from Gazelle. Uh, And the phone was advertised as good, but it showed up as perfect physically. The battery life is horrible. However, I've checked out some message message boards with a lot of tips that go nowhere. Being my source for all things that are Apple. I'd like your opinion or tips, or is there a fruit juice type battery app for iOS or maybe an episode number where you covered this already? He says, I checked the serial number on Apple site and it is eligible for a battery replacement, but it's past the three years of original purchase date. I'm iffy about contacting Apple. Would it be worth a shot? So uh, going in reverse order of your questions. Yes, absolutely. Contact Apple. It's not going to hurt to have them tell you no, but they probably, I think you've got a 50, 50 shot at least of getting them to just swap out the battery, even though you're past the three years. So I would definitely try that. Bring it in, show it to a genius, plead your case. So yeah, to bring it in is what I was going to say. Yep. I just did that with my daughter's phone, and it turned out the battery had some swelling, and they wound up replacing it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it, and and it was actually a third party battery. I had replaced it. My wife took it in. And they said, "There's some swelling here. We're going to replace it." So your and wife didn't know that she, she was didn't asking know them. that I had replaced yeah. the battery in the phone, and uh, so it was an aftermarket battery. And they went in the back and they said, "Yeah, we don't have." Uh, we don't have a battery for this phone, so we're just going to have to give you an all brand new iPhone 5S. That's terrible. And, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> and I, I actually called them and said, "Listen, guys, this is what happened." They're like, "Keep the phone. Don't bother us. We got more." Yeah, more right. Yeah, it you is know? nice though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, as far as utilities, uh, as John pointed out in a recent episode, coconut battery for the Mac will point out and find information about your ios batteries for devices that are plugged in so definitely uh check out coconut battery because that's probably going to do it for you i would check that out and i think um to dovetail on that yep also check out because i believe this is where i got the information so dave you may be asking yourself how do i tell what the capacity of my iphone battery is i mean it's not going to tell you um even if you ask Siri, though, actually, I'm wondering if I ask Siri, but I don't think she's going to tell me, uh, she or he, depending how you set it up. But um, I'm almost certain that um, either the tech specs on the Apple site or Mac Tracker, um, even though it's called Mac Tracker, it, it, it has data on lots of Apple devices. So that's the thing to do, like you said. So, you know, like, for example, my iPhone 5S, I believe the capacity on that is about 1550 milliamp hours. Okay. So when I ran coconut battery, you know, because I I thought I was having battery problems, I ran it and I said, you know, what what do you think? And it's like, yeah, you got 15 something. I'm like, okay, the battery, at least on the hardware level, is not breaking down or or massively defective. Right. Or it's not reporting Uh, that it is. Yeah, that's right. Correct. That's right. I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is iMazing at iMazing.com. Of course, we did just talk about them because uh, sometimes the sponsor is also an answer to the question. 
and uh, and you know us here. We don't uh, we don't discriminate. We will answer the questions with whatever the right tool is, and uh, regardless of whether or not they're sponsored. But today, uh, that happens to fit. As I mentioned, iMazing is the piece of software that I use when it's time for me to do some management of my iOS uh, devices. It was built to be sort of a not if not a replacement for iTunes to certainly fill in the gaps where iTunes shortcomings begin. And the big one, of course, is managing music and getting music from your iPhone to your Mac or Windows machine, right? iMazing is cross-platform. It works on both uh, PC and Mac. So you can transfer music. You can also transfer files uh, between Mac and, and iOS devices. And it works over USB or Wi-Fi. Doesn't require any jailbreak, and it doesn't even require iTunes to work, although you probably have iTunes on your Mac if you have a Mac. Um, it, As I mentioned uh, during the, the segment earlier, it allows you to manage backups. It'll let you uh, shoot backups of your of your iOS devices, which of course is great. Uh, but then it allows you to go in and you can make edits to those, right? So in in Bob's case, we would have made edits to the con to the uh, contacts that are there on the backup. You get the backup the way set up the way you want it, and then you restore that backup up to your iOS device, and all the changes are reflected. Of course, you can also keep archives and manage all your backups that way, which is. Fantastic. You can also manage your pictures and other data out there, including archiving off SMS messages. Uh, you can archive your contacts from your iPhone. You can archive voicemails from your iPhone. All this stuff that iOS makes or uh, that iTunes just makes either difficult or pretty much impossible. iMazing does it all for you. So you got to check this out. iMazing.com. We uh, we love what they do there, and I think you'll love it too. So go check it out, iMazing.com. You can download a, uh, a free demo from them, and then, of course, when it's time to buy, you go right back there, and they'll, they'll take care of you. So go ahead and, uh, and check it out and let them know we sent you, and thanks so much to iMazing for their support. Moving on to Mike, John. Mike asks an interesting question. He says uh, he's a Comcast customer. And, and as a cable modem it says, I called Comcast and they said uh, they, they, they suggested a modem, a Motorola surfboard SB 6121. And he said that modem might give him better and more consistent, consistent speeds than the current Aris branded modem that he is renting from them right now. He says, my question is, if I get this modem, how do I connect my home phone to it? Really what Mike's looking for here is what's the best telephony based modem for Comcast? And not just the, not necessarily the one or in fact, not the one that you would lease from Comcast, but what modem do Comcast customers buy? Unfortunately, uh, the advice he got from Comcast was wrong. The SB6121 is a fine <laughs> modem, but it is not a telephony modem, which is why Mike was wondering, where do I plug my phone into it? The answer is you don't. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, you can have two modems you can have one modem that just does your phone stuff and one modem that just does your internet stuff and i actually have that set up here um, really it was, yeah That's it was crazy a, it was why a, would you even have that because comcast oh, told I'm me sorry. to no really? I, I, yeah i currently really? lease my modem from them which i i don't know I, I i keep going back and forth on this i i pay for one modem lease even though i'm i'm currently leasing two 
The reason they did this was at the time they said, look, Doxis three telephony modems are in short supply right now. So we can give you one. We have one here in the store, but the techs do not carry them on the trucks. So if this modem ever blows up for you, you lose everything until we can get you a new telephony Doxis three modem. They said, you're much better off if you take a standard Doxis three modem for your internet. And then this old, you know, whatever Doxis two, or doesn't matter this other modem to use just for the telephony stuff, ignore the internet ports on it and keep them separate. And that way you're good to go no matter what. And, uh, and so that's what I've done. And, and that works out fine, but I am curious about the, um, you know, what you folks use, because I couldn't find a whole lot of Doxis three, uh, cable modems that have telephony support built in. Uh, there is this Aris TM eight twenty two yep G the TM eight twenty two G because however, that's what well, I hang, have hang on, today. hang on. Uh, however, it says the very first line when you look at this on Amazon says Comcast may not activate with this device in some regions. So just make sure you know what you're doing. But that's the modem you have. Is that right, John? I do. And you may ask yourself, how do I know this? And I know this now one, because I have an Aris modem. So, so Dave, the thing is, and we had this discussion in the past, I'll keep it quick. So I had, I think an old scientific Atlanta Doxis two modem. Right. And quite honestly, it sucked because I was getting horrible speeds and you and I were going back and forth about, and we're going to talk about this uh, uh, shortly, but we were going back and forth as John, you know, what's your, uh, you know, your signal and noise ratio and your cable links and, and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, you know, it's just, it's a crummy modem and it's Doxis two. So I actually, uh, it was a little white lie. I, I went to my local, so I'm with Cablevision, also known as uh, uh, Opt Online. And I actually went to the local office in Bridgeport, risking my life because Bridgeport is a dangerous place. And, uh, <laughs> and I basically went to the, I, I mean, they had security guards. Dude, I don't, I don't know. It, it kind of creeps me out when I go to this place. <laughs> so uh, I go there. They have security guards, but they also have places where you basically put into. It's like this rotating security apparatus yeah. where you basically put in something. It's, it's like bulletproof glass. And then they return something to you. So basically, I, I showed up there and I said, yeah, one of your techs sh- uh, told me I should uh, turn this in for a new modem. And they're like, OK. Yeah. So they took my old modem and they basically rotated in. A TM eight twenty two G, dude. My Got speeds it. like went awesome because as 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 uh, if if people don't know, Doxis three supports multiple data streams, whereas Doxis two really doesn't. Right. So this modem, and and this modem allegedly, although I don't have phone service robbed online, um, could support it. The only thing right now that it does is it complains that there's no battery in it because I guess the battery is. Kind of required if you if you're going to get phone service, so you right nine one one and all that stuff here. But basically, right. the the way I know this is because I went to one nine two dot one six eight dot one hundred dot one, and I get the status screen, and it tells me that this is the modem that I have. So I just offer out that little tip to people. Yeah, so you can well, find out what your modem is. But you could put go. your modem on a battery backup as well. Yeah, you know, but but want, John's but, right. The, the telephony the telephony modems. Yeah. I think the FCC requires for nine one one. Yes, that, absolutely. That the modem has to have the ability to do this battery yeah. thing, which also yeah. makes them more expensive. Of course, of course. While we're on the subject of uh, of 
modems and all of that. John, you're right. If you uh, pretty much every cable modem that is in service today uh, will respond. If you visit the website, 192.168.100.1 in your web browser, they have a little web server inside the cable modem and it will respond. And the, the reason you'd want to go here other than just being geeky is to take a look and see what your channel uh power levels are both for your downstream channels and your upstream channels downstream. And with Doxis two, as John said, you'll only have one channel with Doxis three. You can have as many, I believe as eight on the downstream and four on the upstream. Yes. You may not I have, have that down and three up. Yeah. With my level of service. I think that makes sense because there, there are, uh, so I have basic service. Well, with, it's with it's these actually guys. more than you need for your level of service, but that's just what your cable company does. And that's mm -hmm. what, that's what most of them do actually these days is eight by three. So, um, it, what you're looking at is, uh, it's going to show you the signal to noise ratio and more importantly, the power level. And frankly, if you, if your signal to noise ratio is too high or too low, you, you just won't get any, it, you won't even get this far. In fact, you probably won't even get the, uh, the, the diag screen to come up unless you really jigger things. But what you want to look at, and, and I spent some time this week dealing with this is the power levels. And the reason the power levels matter is because if you're too close to the edge of your power range and say something happens that might make you uh, need a little more power, like when it gets really hot outside, your cable modem might have to reset. It might think it's been disconnected. And that started happening to me this week. And I knew that I was teetering near the edge of my range. The range that you're looking for when you visit this 192.168.100.1 URL on the downstream, ideally, you want your downstream power level to be zero dBmV. Now, it probably yeah. won't be. It probably won't be zero, but that's the ideal. It can be by by official standards anywhere from negative fifteen dBmV to positive fifteen dBmV. As you oh, get no. into double digit numbers, ten and higher, or ten negative ten and lower, that's when you might be you know dancing near the edge of your range. So that's downstream. We'll talk about what to do about this in a minute. Upstream, you want less than 50 dBmV. Uh, mm. 35 is about the lowest I've ever seen. I think most people live in the high 30s, low 40s, and that's fine. So to explain what these are, downstream channels, this is the amount of power uh, off of zero that your cable modem is receiving when a signal gets to it. Okay, so it can be you can have a problem if you have too much power and that's where you'd see the positive, you know, as you get to plus 15, the cable modem just can't take any more than this plus 15 over whatever the standard, uh, you know, the standard is. And also, if it gets, you know, less than 15 off of that standard, then it's not enough. So you've got to be in that range with upstream. That's the amount of power your cable modem needs to send out in order to get a signal to the cable company and most cable modems start to fall down at about the, you know, 51, 52 dBmV mark. My upstream, my, my downstream was at like, I have eight channels, as I mentioned, it was at like negative eight to negative 10. So dancing close, you know, a weak okay, signal. And mine are all zero point yeah, something, which good. I think is, is outstanding. And mm -hmm. there, and I have eight channels. 
right? Go ahead. Right. I, I just want to give you a relative amount yeah, of no, what I'm it, seeing. It, yeah, yeah. Because my upstream may scare you. So go ahead. My upstream was, I have three channels. One of them was at 50. One of them was at 51. And one was at 49. This is, I, yep. and I knew I was dancing cl- too close to to the the realm but i it and it's a function of the reason mine was was there do you want to tell me yours before i finish here john just so i can manage well, yeah, the interruption mine, and you know so number one um yeah because we don't manage things here so actually mine so i have three streams like you dave yeah mine are 51 51 and 49.5 okay so you're in which, the same as boat. you're saying is dancing but the thing is my upstream uh that my provider advertises, I have seen that. So whenever I'm doing uploads, yeah, that's I see not, the speed that's they irrelevant. advertise. It, stop for a right. second. But, yeah. but it is, it is uh, on the edge. I, I an, agree with you. It's an all or nothing thing. Your speed is not impacted by this. Simply no. your ability to connect is impacted. Once oh, you connect. Right. Well, I can connect. So. Yeah. Once you connect, <laughs> then you get the speed from your provider. But here's what I learned this week. I learned that 51 is typically the highest number it will show. And I'll tell you how I learned this because yours is probably well over 51. So I have the problem. The problem is, so now we understand the the foundation. Now I can explain to you how I solved my problem and how you can solve your problem too. Very, very inexpensively. Uh, Do I have a problem? Well, you're close to one. Uh, So, yeah. So when you, uh, it, my problem is that I choose to put my cable modem far away from where the cable comes into the house, which means inevitably it is behind several layers of splitters. Each when you have a splitter that takes your cable connection and splits it from one to two, you know, a coax splitter, you lose 3.5 dBmV per side. Okay. So if you have a signal coming in, And whatever it's at, let's say it's at zero and you split it. Both sides are now going to show negative 3.5. If the signal was at 10, it would show, you know, 6.5 and so on and so forth. So for every splitter you have, you're subtracting uh, 3.5 from the downstream number. And you're adding 3.5 to the upstream number, right? You're taking that away. So sometimes putting a splitter in can be the right thing if your downstream is too powerful, but you're paying the price on the upstream. So you've got to balance this. For me, my downstream was was also weak. So it was just a function of all these splitters. They make something called a tap. Uh, of course, if you can avoid having any splitters in the line, that's best. But sometimes that's simply unavoidable or at least not practically avoidable. They make something called a tap. This is it looks just like a cable modem splitter, except it's unbalanced or it's out of balance. One side of the tap subtracts six dB, whereas the other side subtracts one. You have to pay a seven dB price. However, a normal splitter pays the price evenly amongst both ports coming out. A tap splitter pays the price unevenly. So you've got an input. The output pays 1 dB. The tap side pays 6 dB. So I bought two tap splitters and I, they were like, I don't know. I mean, it was, I think it was less than 15 bucks for both of them. And total, you know, shipped to me. And, and I set it up so that the output side, the 1 dB side, 
went to uh, my, where my cable modem is. And the downstream increased by five DB, which is what it should have been. Cause I was at negative 3.5 on, on those sides previously. And I went to negative one. So negative 2.5 plus negative 2.5 is negative five. And there we are, right? The upstream, and this is why I'm telling you, John, because one of my upstreams was at 51. My upstreams did not go down by five. They went down by about three. And that's what tells me that I was really dancing closer to 53, 54 than I was to actually 51, which is what it was reporting to me, which is as yours is reporting to you. So that my advice to everyone is, is take a look and see how many splitters you've got in there. Now you have to be careful, you, you know, by, by moving, uh, one DB by, by moving, you know, two and a half DB over to the other side, I am causing a potential problem for my televisions and you have to be careful of that, but, uh, it's not the end of the world. Most televisions can take it. I actually have my, I have everything, including my cable modem, uh, downstream from an amplifier from my cable company. Uh, now you have to put a filter in that will, no, no, no. The amps work great. You groan, but it's only because well, it's only I, because you don't is, know, right? They, they make well, a, amps make me nervous because amplifiers amplify everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that's where you're going, but yep. sorry. Well, you have Go to ahead. get a, 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 Oh gosh, what's it called? It's a filter. Your cable company would provide it a filter in an inline filter that makes it so that the amplifi- amplification only happens to the downstream and doesn't happen to the upstream. So that, that starts to make things a whole lot better. And it, and it does, it works totally great. Uh, in fact, I, I start, and then once I did this, of course, now, then I went crazy and started messing around and I actually put an amplifier in line uh, to solve a different problem for one of my TVs that was unrelated to this. It related only in that it, it happened because I was thinking about it, but um but it totally worked. I mean, it, it brought the signal up and everything was happy and it got all the channels it was supposed to get. Without an amp, my TV got maybe half the channels it was supposed to get, which was weird. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That was the weird part. It's like yeah. I went to channel 801, our, our HD channels here in Comcast land in, in uh, New Hampshire started 800. And actually, they started 801. And I got like 801 through 809, but not 810. I got 811, but not 812. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. So I, put, I just put an amp right by the TV and boom, it got everything. Wow. I know. It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It, but it, yeah, well, well, but John's point is right. It yeah. may not have. I mean, if you're going to amplify the noise, too, sure. is how that works. Right. That yeah. was my point. Yeah, no, you're an right. Amplifier, and when I've done RF work, when I was, you know, messing, uh, and I still do to a certain extent with police scanners and CBs and stuff. Yeah. Amplifiers amplify everything. So you have to be very careful because, yeah, having more noise, so you get more signal, good. You have more noise, bad. And right. it's like, does uh, you know where's the balance right sometimes you may you may be able to engineer it properly sometimes it makes matters worse. it just makes <laughs> things worse that's right yeah so this was an interesting thing and i now i've got myself down to uh i made some other changes as well and now my upstream channels are ranging from 43.5 to 46 which isn't i would love them to be about 40 db lower than that but uh, but I'm not going to get right. picky, you know, and my down, I mean, your advice, the, la- the, the last time I did an exercise in this Dave, your advice was ideal because what I did, and this is always a good thing is I actually looked for places where I had too much cable running, mm-hmm. especially in parts of the house and splitters and stuff. So I, I both removed splitters and I actually eliminated, I cut out cable 
and we'll put new ends on them. So you get a little crimping tool and stuff like that. Sure. And that had the most positive effect, reducing the cable length from the pole to the house. If you can do that, yeah. if, if you can figure out where the cable's running and get rid of cable, that's one of the best things you can do and get rid of splitters. Like, like you're yeah, saying, the or, splitters or are, in, the, are the key um, to that. So I'll put a link in the, uh, in the show notes to the taps that I used. Um, Anything about the quality of splitters, you think? I, I seem to recall at one point I had some splitter issues when I was on Comcast. And yeah. You, you got to have them at a, at a, for cable, they need to go up to a gigahertz. Okay. Now, many of them will go up to like two and a half gigahertz, which is fine. It, they, you know, you're sure, not sending that You may that buy data. some crap at, at yeah. Radio Shack or something and throw it on there and go, oh, that should work. And then it doesn't. Most um, splitters are going to go up to a gig these okay. days. I mean, I'm talking 15 years yeah, ago exa- now when exactly. I was doing this. But yeah. It, yeah. it was a, a huge issue, in fact, for a while. Okay. I, I, when I was really? doing all this research, I, I could not find a single splitter that was less than a okay. gig. And, mo- and like I said, most of them are at two and a half because I think um, the, the satellite stuff needs uh, a higher um, okay. uh, bandwidth. Yeah. Because yeah, what I found interesting, so I'm, looking at, so I'm looking at my Aeris screen. So all of the downstream channels, so w- when you go to the status page, so all the downstream channels that at least I have with my service are in the 600 megahertz range. All the upstream are in the tens of megahertz. So, uh, but no, you bring up a good point is, yeah, you want to make sure that, that <laughs> whatever device you get. And, and as you guys are saying, I mean, the, these are the frequencies used by the cable modem. But yeah, there are frequencies. And I don't know off the top of my head what frequencies cable TV uses. Um, they're probably higher. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, I I don't, but that there is someone in the chat room that may answer that question. Um, ah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's saying that uh, a forty-three transmit rate or forty-three uh, dB and V for upstream is just fine. He would not worry about that at all. So, um, which is good. Which is good. Fun discussion, and thank you for the the, the follow up in the chat room. Yeah, I'm. I will. I will find. I wish I could find the the. Um, the whatchamacallit i want to call it something the who's jig yeah that who's jig um <laughs> careful folks it's getting technical yeah 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 let me let me look and the see if, what's I can, it? if i can find the thing about what's it yeah the, the yeah no, i'm not gonna find it uh the, the, the filter that sits in line uh I, I researched oh, it on, yeah. on the, the, yeah. the, the, the filter that only sends it upstream. It, it, it was a very nondescript thing, but thankfully the part number on it was like, the, yeah, it blocks 12 dB of upstream. The pyloric valve of the internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the y <Y-Oculator laughs> valve. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it works and you've got to leave that in place. But they typically come with your, your uh, amplifiers. I just happened to be lucky or geeky and <laughs> had an extra cable modem or a cable amplifier sitting unused. I don't, I'm shocked, Dave, that you had extra technical equipment just <laughs> laying around unused because I know that you throw everything away that you're not using. Yeah. Yeah, I had tend to have a problem. <laughs> okay, we aren't going to put you on hoarders this week, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. I try to throw stuff away, man. No, you know, surprisingly, you for, for as much stuff as you should have around here, you, you really don't. I mean, you keep you keep a lot of extra gear, but, yeah. uh, but no, it's... Uh, 
It's not. Pete, quite if as I bad recall, as you're in, you're in the building where the excess is right outside the door. If if I'm not mistaken, absolutely. Case, I, and I grab a handful else. of crap every time I leave the house. I, Dave doesn't <laughs> notice. You know, he goes in. I I run back and grab some more equipment. He hasn't noticed yet. <laughs> That's how I get all my IMAX and. <laughs> <laughs> he just leaves them laying around. You know. Yeah. And and so here's something interesting is uh, that Cody Chandler in the in the chat oh, room yeah. says that their local plant is very stable up to 53 or even 54 dBmV on the upstream, which makes sense. My I think my cable modem won't report above 51. Uh, I'd love clarification on that if anybody knows. But um, but clearly I was above 51 because when I reduced by five, I think I my you know, my 51 went down to like, you know, 48. I was like, yeah, <laughs> OK, now I know why when it got really hot this week, my cable modem started crapping out and resetting. And that's what that's what triggered me to do all this is the heat in the summer for me and every, everywhere I lived has always been the thing that that, you know, triggers or or. Um, kind of pushes the it's the straw that breaks the camel's back so and cody says that most modems will report up to 61 well maybe i need a new modem so i'm uh I'm, I'm open to advice as is um uh mike who was looking for which telephony modem to use i think i'll leave my things separate but i would um love advice on you know a good cable modem i, I gotta figure out the problem is i have two and so it, the the math to um, to go from leasing to owning is quite different because I still like to have two. Although I guess if I'm going to buy my own, I really only need one. But I have them in two different places. In fact, I have them on two different runs from the street. So I kind of like that. So I don't know. Well, see. yeah, somebody big T saying to water cool my modem. All okay. right, I think that's a, a good sign that we have overdone. Well, we are finished with this topic. I won't say we've overdone it, but we've certainly finished with this topic. Mm -hmm. I want to move and talk about our second sponsor today, which is Squarespace. As I mentioned in the intro, Squarespace, they do, you know, they're, they're a very Apple-like company in that they take something that's very complex and they do all the hard work and make it so that you have no idea how much hard work is involved in building a website, making it work for mobile, making it work for all browsers, making it able to be published to making it just simply look good, which is harder than you think until you try. And then you understand exactly how hard that is. They make it look great everywhere and they host it for you. So if you didn't think that everything else was complex and trust me when I say that it is, then they host it for you too. And it's all kind of wrapped into one little wrapper and, uh, and they make it easy to edit and all of this stuff. So, and they, they're just beautiful websites. So what you do is you go to squarespace.com. They'd appreciate it if you'd visit squarespace.com slash M G G because that way they know we sent you and they, they appreciate that. And when you get there, the first thing you do is you click get started. You haven't even given them your name or your email or anything. You start going through and you're like, okay, well, what do you want? Are you are building a personal website? Are you building a, a store? Is it for your business? Is it for your band? Are you a musician? You know, and then it narrows down the templates that they built for you. And you kind of look at the templates and you can mess around with them and play with them and see what they look like 
on a desktop versus mobile, all in your, all in your web browser on your Mac. This is all happening right there. Then you say, yeah, I like this design. Great. Start with it. Then you go, and now they ask you for your name and your email and your password. You're not paying them yet. You get 14 days for free from this point forward. And that's when you start playing. You get to take their design, which is awesome as it stands, but you get to put maybe your pictures in it, your name, your text. You get to start customizing this, and you're still doing it all in your web browser. That's the beautiful part of this. You don't have to download some software. You don't have to do anything other than stay in the web browser, which is where you and other people are going to visit your website when you're finished. So you do all this, you upload your pictures by simply dragging them into the spaces on the site where they belong. Then you add some content, maybe some text, maybe you write it right there in your web browser, or maybe you have stuff that's written elsewhere and you just paste it in. Once you get it, you like it, you turn your site live and then people can come see it. Sign up for a year you get a free domain with it so you can you don't uh, you can host at yourname.squarespace.com maybe not you, not that exact URL but you could replace the your name with your name right but if you want to have your own domain you can do that too i did that dave the nerd actually davehamilton.com which was a domain that i wanted for so long and finally got uh, davehamilton.com points to my squarespace blog and you just go and then it all just works and if you want to change something, if I want to post something, they have these killer iOS apps, folks. I don't know if you've seen them yet, but if you haven't, I, this is some of the easiest blogging tools on iOS I've ever seen. You just type, publish, edit right from there. Separate app for stats. So you're not like digging around and trying to find different things in the app. The, the, the app to publish on your site is just an app to do that. The metrics app is just an app to do that. It's really, really great. They have a notes app that's even separate. Really fantastic. Publish your stuff. That's it. It's that simple. Eight bucks a month is what this costs if you sign up for a year. And like I said, you want to do that anyway. You're not going to move your website every month. That's crazy talk. Sign up for a year. Eight bucks a month. You get that free domain. Here's the thing. Your first purchase, you use coupon code MGG. You have to remember to use that. Another 10% off of all of that. You got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Build it and build it beautiful. And now we'll talk about something else beautiful. We're moving to Bill. We're talking about sharing photos. Bill, you want to take this one, John? I think this one's yours. In fact, uh, it could be yeah. based on the notations we have here. So um, let us talk about Bill. So here's what Bill says Bill writes. So I thought I would be smart and use photos in iCloud to get my pictures out of the iPhone and upload them to eBay or whoever. So imagine my surprise when I found no link to the actual files on the disk that I could upload. See screenshot, the relevant menu item is grayed out. I ended up just dragging the ones I wanted to the desktop and the item that was grayed out, of course, is show referenced file in Finder let you know what i see because you can't see what i see and then he says so what's the deal with this can we share photos but only in approved ways i'm ready to go back to transferring via dropbox all right bill i i get your uh i think bill has a fish shake here right sounds like it to me if we encapsulate that the thing is bill um i'm gonna say bill's anger is unwarranted and I'll tell you why. So I'm sorry, Bill, if, you know, but I wrote Bill to try to help him. 
And so, Bill, for what it's worth, I don't see the option. I didn't see that option. So I've used Aperture and iPhoto and Photos, and I didn't see that option either. Be they stream from my iPhone or stuff that I've imported from my point-and-shoot camera. So, all right, if I'm not seeing it, and I'm kind of a photography type of guy and, and photo type of guy, if I'm not seeing it and Bill's not seeing it, what's going on here? Um, I think it's just a poorly named menu choice and, and perhaps maybe a poorly, uh, maybe you are thinking too outside the box in how you want to access your photos. So I did find a little ditty to explain this. So I did some surfing here and I found something from our friends at OS 10 daily. And I'm going to go on a mini rant here. All right, go guys. When you see OS and an X, that's OS 10. I I'm think we know that, things. right? Well, I just want to remind people of this, but I'm going to remind people of two other things. So it's an iPod touch. It's not an iTouch. And it's an Apple watch, not an iWatch. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with brand. that one. That's going to take a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because I, I mean, I, I've run into what I would say, uh, uh, unsophisticated Apple users say iTouch. And I'm like, dude, where did you get this? Well, why do you call it this? Okay. End of rant. So um, the thing is, I found something at OS 10 daily called how to show in Finder, the original file in photos app for Mac OS 10. So very good article, guys. Thank you so much. But basically, they kind of come to the same conclusion is that if you're using one of Apple's programs to manage your photos, you're not going to see this option. So that's why I said, Dave, it's kind of poorly named. And actually, probably, why is it even there? It, it, so they suggest, all right, if you don't use Apple's programs to manage your photos, then you may be able to access it. Or you could dig into the package file to find it, which I certainly would not recommend, okay? <laughs> yeah. Or just do what he did. And I think what 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 what... What Bill did, I think, is the absolute right thing. So I would say, Dave, I don't know if it's fair to say that you can only share in approved ways um, in that they give you a, a plethora. Okay. I'm going to use a fancy word here. I like plethora. options and that you could hmm. and that you could highlight the photos you want to share and use. Uh, now, here's what you can do, though. All right. So you can highlight the photos you want to share. And there is an export option within Photos, and I believe in Aperture and, and iPhoto as well. So you can export them, and you get some control over the settings for exporting, whether it's PN, uh, uh, JPEG or PNG and the quality and stuff like that. So you can use that. Or you can use what he found, which I think is kind of intuitive, and then you just highlight the photos, drag them to the desktop, and then do whatever you use want. Use them. Yep. Um, the, the, only thing I, I, uh, so, the only thing I will... Uh, concede is that the options in the share menu are somewhat limiting so if you go into most apple programs now so the thing is you do have a way to share things in an approved fashion um and i would say that the things in the share menu which is the little box that has the up arrow um may be somewhat limiting yeah, I but that's, I mean, that's to be expected. I mean is apple supposed to just put everything in there i mean it, i guess the the uh, the the alternative would be if Apple were to build a share sheet tile type of architecture for OS 10, like it has for iOS, 
and then other apps can just attach to it and, and all that good stuff. So, I mean, I, but that doesn't exist. And so, you know, I don't, frankly, I don't want Apple wasting their time creating, having them then, code up all this right, stuff, right. I, you know, just put, drag it to the desktop or. No, I get it. Yeah. And, um, and just uh, FYI for people, if you do want to see, so there is a share menu, which again, there's a little box with the arrow pointing up and, and you may ask yourself, where is this? And, and you know, I, I actually uh, didn't know off the top of my head, Dave, where is this? And where this is, at least in the latest version of OS 10, is that if you go to System Preferences, Extensions, Share Menu, this will show you all of the options for sharing from the various apps that you use. Um, oh, so they have, wait a minute, see, they, they, they really, maybe that's it. They have done this, right? Because this is other apps that have, have done this. So there you go. These are people that I do believe have provided plugins to Apple. And so the thing is, if you go to the share menu. Yeah, but I have like Evernote. Extensions. Right? That's not there unless yes, you install the do. app. So they have done this. So there you go. Right. So what Apple has done is they provided if the person, if the developer chooses to do so. And I'm looking here and I see options here, Dave. I never, I, I don't even know who these people are. So I see Todo, yep. Yoku. Tencent Weebo, uh, the well, uh, Weibo and Tencent Weibo, which is like, uh, I mean, that's yeah. really popular in China. Sina Weibo is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I assume these are Asian options here. Actually, Dave, I see, we talked about this in a couple of shows before. I see Encrypto as a destination that I don't have checked right now. Only because, because you I, have Encrypto installed. Right. So, um, yeah, so they have, they've created this. So there you go. It's up to the, yell at the app developers. So I would say, Bill, you got to shake your fist at the developers of the service um, that you choose to use to share your photos for not offering you. And I think to me, Dave, the, the biggest uh, exclu- uh, the, the biggest one that's missing there, at least for me, because I like Instagram. I don't know about you. I see you post stuff on Instagram. I post on Instagram. Yeah, so Instagram, here's the for thing. For whatever reason, they have an API, but there's no share plugin right. in OS Ten. But- currently but here's uh, the thing that i'm aware of the third party stuff that you and i are seeing there right now comes Mm. from mac apps that then you know bundle with the app this share component that, Mm. that ties into the os with facebook that happens because the os bakes it in by default, right? Apple, I I don't know if Facebook or Apple wrote that plugin, but Apple provides it to us. The same is true of Twitter. We don't know exactly whose coders wrote it, but we get it from them. Evernote, on the other hand, or in crypto, is definitely coming directly from the app developer. So what has not happened is two things. Number one, there's no Mac app for Instagram. And even the web version is very, very limited because it is an iOS only app. It is not meant to be used to share from the desktop. I don't think you can you even post from the desktop? No, right? You can view, but you can't post. I tried earlier today. I had a video Good. I wanted to post. So Good point. Right. Yes. So so Instagram has not prioritized this. They don't have a Mac app and therefore can't bake a share uh, 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 extension in into that. So that's all. That's all. Speaking all right. of so Bill, sharing Ah, I was okay. gonna, but again, Bill, thanks for the question. Um, I, th- I think we <laughs> we gave you all we could, but I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. it's all, it's all good. Speaking of sharing, I wanted to bring us to Ben. Um, ben writes, I've recently configured family sharing 
podcasts in iTunes or in the iTunes store so that my wife and I and two kids can use Apple Music and use my iTunes account for purchases. My son recently sent a request to an app and it was only 99 cents. Uh, he's in the UK, so it was 69p, which I believe is pence. Yes, pence. Yes, Thanks. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> they I'd haven't already, euroed yet. Yeah, right. But I'd already bought it previously and declined it. I then just synced his phone with my Mac and added the app to his phone. It looks like iTunes will charge each individual separately for the same app if you let it. Is this by design and is there a way around it other than having to sync up like I did? Ben, I ran into this recently, too, because I'm on a family share account. I have been since iOS 8 uh, came out. It's great, but it sucks when my son says, and I miss my son. He left camp today for a month. So, uh, you know, I get choked up when I think about him. Uh, I'll get over it. But it, it sucks when my son says to me, hey, I'm playing this cool new game that, that I bought. You should try it. And I think, all right, cool. I'll try it. And then I go to buy it or I go to download it because he already bought it and we're part of a family share. And it says, uh, you know, it's going to cost three ninety nine. I'm like, oh, crap. So what you do in this um, in, in, in this scenario, what you do is you go into the app store uh, on your iPhone. And this is the manual way of doing this. We'll talk about a more automated way. And you go into updates on your iPhone and go to purchased. And there you should see separate options for your purchases versus your family's purchases. So at that point I would go into my son's group and if you pull down, you'll see all the things that he has purchased or, you know, and, and that's what I see in, in your case, whatever your family member, individual family member has purchased, you'll see all the things. Uh, if you pull down a little bit, you can search their purchases right here and search for the thing you want. When you say to download it, it downloads to your phone, but right before that, something magical happens. Your account, whatever account you're actually logged in with is marked as having purchased that same item. Okay. So this is where the magic happens. When you go in here and say, yeah, I want to download it. Great. If you then deleted it from your phone and went back into the main store and searched for it, it would show it as being able to download it, not ask you to pay three ninety nine. So it's not, the store isn't wired up to be smart enough to, to check all of your family share accounts before it charges you, but you can go and essentially add this to your account. If one of your family share people has bought it. And yes, this means if that person leaves your account, a, you still keep any apps that they purchased that you downloaded, right. And marked the, the, I purchased this flag and vice versa. Anything that they down, you know, that they got from other people on the family share account, as long as they got it before you break them off and send them on their, their little way, then they get those too. So wouldn't it be nice if there was a way to go in and say, Hey, everybody, I want to mark every app that anybody in my family share account has purchased as mine so that I don't have to think about it. And when I'm in the store, just browsing around, I want to see this. Well, there is, it's a little bit of manual and you have to use, I, well, you can do it with the iPhone. We just told you how to do that, but it's a very manual one by one process. You can do it all at once, or at least each person at once with the following thing on your Mac, go into the iTunes, go into iTunes, go to the iTunes store and choose purchased in the links on the right. And then in the upper left, you can similarly, just like you do on your iPhone, you can select yourself or 
the people in your family share group. Choose each one of them. Select not in my library just to make life easier for you and choose to download everything. You have to do this separately for apps, TV shows, music and movies. But once you do that, it'll download them to your to your computer. You can delete them from there if you want. You don't have to keep them on your computer. But that process flags all of those with purchases that you now have access to. And I uh, I just did this recently. It was funny your email came in when it did, Ben. I just did, just did this recently. It works flawlessly. Um, it was kind of a pain in the neck to do the first time because there were so many apps. And so it just downloaded, you know, gigabytes of data. Um, but going forward, I've just put it on my calendar to do this once a month. So I don't have to think about it. Um, and, and then that'll, you know, that'll keep me mostly up to date with everything. And more importantly, if we ever, you know, I mean, the kids will eventually leave, you know, it's how it works. And hopefully when they leave, they'll get their own iTunes accounts and won't keep charging me for their stuff. (laughs) Although I think there will be a logical disconnect between the date that they leave and the date that they tell me they want to start paying for their own iTunes stuff. Um, on their 50th birthday, still start buying. Yeah, out. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that's how that's done. And it's actually a pretty, you know, once you do the process, it's, it's not that bad. It's like I said, it's a little tedious because you have to do it, um, for each member of your family. There's four places to look music apps, TV shows, and movies. Now, maybe you don't care about one or more of those categories, in which case ignore them. But uh, I figured, why not? The kids, have, if they've bought music or they've bought apps, I might as well flag them for my account. It'd be nice if you could write a workflow to do that. I, or yeah, Well, it would be an yeah, Apple script yeah, because yeah. workflows on iOS. And, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I thought yeah. about that. Yeah. The problem is there's, I got to do it more. I've only done this once. Right, to get it to yeah, make sense. To and it, it would re- require a lot of UI scripting. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it screams for automation. Yeah. But I'm not convinced that there's a way to do it that I could actually walk away from. But really, you know, and, uh, Alex in the chat room is saying maybe Apple should implement something. Um, and 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 yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would be nice what? to just check a box. Money? Well, that's the <laughs> thing. Double pay. Why? Yeah. Why if you, if you? <laughs> you want to pay twice for this, folks. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's cool stuff. It's good. So thank you, Ben, for asking the question, because uh, it's it's good. You know, there you go. All right. Moving on to Rick. Rick asks, I turned on music match and now I want to turn it off. But in iTunes 12, I cannot find a way to actually turn it off. The reason I want to turn it off is that I download video podcasts with iTunes match turned on some, but not all of the downloaded podcasts will be put up into the cloud. When this happens, if that podcast is called out in a smart playlist, it will not show up. I use these playlists on my Apple TV, and that's right. Apple Music and the Apple TV don't quite play well together. Hopefully, the answer or the follow-up to that is yet. And I think Apple's confirmed that it is, in fact, yet. When this happens, I have to go to iTunes and manually download them from the cloud. By clicking on the little cloud icon in the podcast, this seems to only happen for video podcasts, but not audio shows. This is not new in iTunes 12.2. Uh, it's been an issue from the start of iTunes Match. I've turned match on and off over the years, hoping this would be fixed. This time I cannot turn match off. Can you help? You're right. Uh, match iTunes match and iCloud music library are currently tied together. Um, and this is, uh, 
It's just the way that it is. It, if you had or or go and buy, you still can buy iTunes Match, and it is a different service than than Apple Music. Um, it is turned on by checking the iCloud Music Library box. There is no separate box for iTunes Match. So if you want to use iCloud Music Library and you pay for Apple for iTunes Match, then you have iTunes Match on. And frankly, I, I, in your case, Rick, I, I mean, I know we try to kind of abstract stuff out here for everybody in the show, but in your specific case, Rick, I don't think it would matter. I think it's the, it would be the same problem is you're, you know, you just don't want that syncing. You can turn um, iCloud Music Library off in the iTunes preferences. It's uh, iTunes preferences. And right there on general, you have show Apple Music and iCloud Music Library and you can turn it off. But you may not like the result of that. Uh, you know, cause it's going to pull all your Apple music play or uh, all your uh, store on my computer stuff. And all of that stuff is just going to be gone. So uh, if you want to specifically disable iTunes match, but leave iCloud music library on though, you simply need to cancel your iTunes match subscription and it will be disabled. Now, whether that's disabled immediately or eventually because it's, you know, you subscribe for a year and whenever that year is up, uh, it is all very confusing right now, and Apple's presentation of it is even more confusing than it actually is. Uh, so there, but you know, the good news is uh, Apple is painfully aware of this stuff. In fact, uh, we prepped this question earlier in the week, but then you know, this whole thing with Jim Dalrymple, um, who thought he lost his music uh, at loopinsight.com. He was a Jim was a uh, Macworld editor for years. I know. Oh, okay. All the right. Be- the beard. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so Jim, known as. yeah, Jim went through this whole thing where he thought he lost all of his music, but really what had happened was he had deleted a bunch of his music simply from his computer and then turned off iCloud music library, which simultaneously turned off iCloud iTunes match. And so he lost access to all of his music. Um, and, and, you know, uh, thankfully for all of us, in, in fact, uh, Jim went in, he lives out in the Bay area now. So he was able to go, he met with some folks at Apple. They kind of walked through this with him and he realized, Oh, I just need to turn that on. He got most, but not all of his songs back. And also, you know, drew some attention to this, which is a good thing. So yeah, it's, it's all very confusing, but, um, but you know, it's, uh, it, Apple, here's the thing. Apple has always sucked at the cloud. They have never gotten the cloud right. <laughs> no, and we've talked about this on this show before. They, they've never... Mac, mobile me, now they're on their third iteration, and uh, it's getting... They should have bought Dropbox and didn't, they done with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they tried to, yeah. and Dropbox oh. wouldn't sell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe that's how that conversation okay. went, but it doesn't matter. You know, they... We should have just hired their engineer. Yeah, they've got iCloud, and then and then I mean, you you right, you're right, John. It's their third, at least their third iteration of the cloud, and then you know they call it iCloud Music, but it's a separate thing. I mean, it's under the iCloud umbrella in terms of nomenclature, but it's a whole different thing, and and it's a little bit of a mess, and it's very confusing for people. You know, part of this confusion that's always been the case with Apple is they try not to force the users to learn how this stuff works. And that's a good, th- I mean, I, it, it's a, it's a noble cause, but it is not one that I, that w- has worked for them. Um, or maybe it has, I don't know their stock well, prices. Well, whatever. they also, Dave, they don't provide the thing is you and I have, have entertained a number of iCloud related questions, mostly uh, syncing of things 
that mysteriously, sometimes surprisingly, and sometimes disappointingly, yep. between devices, like, you know, accessing Wi-Fi hotspots. All of a sudden, I'm somewhere, I have a device that's in iCloud, and it syncs to a Wi-Fi hotspot, and I didn't have to enter a password. Yep. Dude, that's cool. But when they screw it up, then it's like, how do I oh. get rid of it? And that's what you and I have struggled with. Well, here's, you have here's the thing. The, you in have fact, to dig into the guts and, and delete things and hope that they get deleted and they don't get resynced. And well, then I want to do that. Nightmare. I, there's, there are Wi-Fi hotspots, names of Wi-Fi hotspots that I never want my iPhone to join. Because here's the thing. And it's a <laughs> freaking pain in the in the neck. Yeah. I almost did what Pete does. Uh, Logan, right? I almost Logan. Had, yeah. No, well, yeah, Logan Wi-Fi, right? That's one of them, but there's a million of them. And when my phone connects to them, uh, it, you know, either it, it says it's on Wi-Fi, but I never actually get any data. And my phone is just like in mode and it sucks. You know, I, I just want it not to try and connect to those. And I go in, you can't, you, you know, you can tell it on the phone, don't connect to this one, but it invariably comes back from iCloud. I've gone onto my Mac and edited things in the, the Wi-Fi. You go into system preferences, network, Wi-Fi, and you go into the network list and you delete all that stuff in there. And I have, in the last couple of months, I've done this three times where I've deleted things from that list painstakingly. I highlight things and I delete them. It doesn't take 10 minutes until all that crap is back and it royally pisses me off because I just don't want my freaking phone trying to connect to stupid networks. I have a crap ton of data and I just want to use it. I just, I want to pay AT&T as much money as I can. Right there. Right there. You know what I'm saying? You're right, man. I'm yeah, I'm, right. I'm good now. Calm yeah. I'm down. Give him a, give him a beer there's, or something. There's no way. There's no way to do this. You can't like there's no place to say blow this list away. And please, I'm wondering what your problem is. For the love the of is, God, don't bring it day, back. I looked at the other day on my MacBook Pro and I had excess things in my in my, you know, uh, uh, what are we going to call it? Preferred uh, preferred networks. And I deleted them. And Dave, I'm looking right now a day or two later. It's still in the same state. So I'm wondering now you you uh, I suspect you have multiple machines and one of them is saying oh no i got this and i i think you want it so i'm gonna put it back in the cloud and it does yeah but i only I have don't, two machines i don't and want I think that, that. that i i understand that <laughs> I'm trying to work with you man but I'm, I'm saying because i only have one or two machines that that sync this list i think that may be your issue is that you have too many machines in iCloud and it's trying to do what it thinks is the right thing this is well, not. this is back to our I get it uh, this is back to our what my really my comment before what do you really want to do what do you really want to do right sync is hard conflict resolution is yeah. hard oh you don't want to do that we'll, yeah we'll trust we'll trust me it. on this let me put those back for you and then i'll be walking around <laughs> right. somewhere and like i was walking around in boston the other day and it picked up some network and it was like Oh, for the love of Pete, will you pull this out of here again? I was so I turned off Wi-Fi. And then, of course, the problem is you get home and, you know, then I'm start downloading stuff. And I realize, oh, crap, I just downloaded half a gig over, you know, LTE instead of Wi-Fi. All right. You came in. You're right. I'm good. I'm I'm revved up now. Yeah, but they got rollover. (laughs) I know you are. (laughs) Yeah, they have rollover. You're good. I'm good. I'm all good. Rolls over one month. So, Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. One whole month they roll over for me yeah. at AT&T. Yeah. I've been rolling over for AT&T for a long time. Let me just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They like it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to Ian here. Ian says, 
I've had Clam XAV installed on all of my Macs for uh, for years for quick virus scanning of suspect suspect downloads, etc., and have just updated to version 282. It seems the developers decided to move to a paid model to help fund further development. I have no issue with paying for my software, but want to make sure I'm getting the best deal before I fork out my cash. Nothing wrong with that. That being said, can you recommend any other Mac antivirus software, either paid or donationware, or should I just stick with Clam XAV? Too long, didn't read? What's the best Mac antivirus software that I should be using? That's Ian's question. Honestly, I still don't use anything of my own. Um, that's probably, really? yeah, that's probably getting to be a more and more no, risky scenario. Knowingly, dangerous though you part of do. Though, uh, you don't knowingly, but the, the, and that's a lead into mm. where I'll take over here. But no, it's true. A- Apple yeah. takes care of me, right? I mean, they do. They update those definitions. I had one minor issue uh, this, uh, I don't know, what about three or four months ago where I visited a website that would not stop spawning JavaScript things. And I, I, I went through a, a disastrous thing. Thankfully, one of the Safari engineers follows me on Twitter and, and asked me, hey, whoa, whoa, what website was that? And I, I told them. And, and of course, then and I saw in, that in the next update, it went Dave. away. Yeah. In the latest Safari update, they said, oh, by the way, we addressed this one issue. Yeah. Um, bogus JavaScript uh, yeah, looping it, it, exactly behavior. We, 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 we will not allow that anymore. I we're, felt we're so happy about this. It was awesome. I felt like I had a, you, you know, a small oh, little part you. to do with that. Yeah. Thank okay. you. No, so, you did. But I, yeah. but other than, you know, fighting those battles and then ranting on Twitter, I don't use any antivirus software. Um, but, but again, like you said, I do use what Apple bakes in for all of us. And that's not a bad thing. Um, John, what do you use? I'm going to tell you, Dave, and I'm going to tell a little story here, which I know you intended to lead me into. I did. Because I have been spending the last week, my friend, fighting the forces of evil on multiple fronts. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of where I've been fighting the forces of evil. And Apple has been helping uh, sometimes immediately and sometimes not so immediately. So the one thing is, you may recall at one point in the past here, um, I ran into a bogus flash installer. And I was shaking my fist saying, Apple's gatekeeper is terrible and, and they're not doing nothing to prevent this and all that. Well, I found out later, Dave, actually following up on this, they did, in fact, do two things here. And then this makes me very happy. And that's why I made the comment about you is that you may not knowingly be benefiting from Apple's uh, attention to this. So, um, number one. If you recall, we have these things called certificates and developers can get them and develop software for them. And if you have one, Gatekeeper will not uh, put up a warning because it's from a known developer. Well, fortunately, Dave, the app that I found before, which has since been identified, the cert for that person has been revoked. If you look up the certificate, it says it has been revoked. So thank you, Apple, for revoking the certificate of this rogue developer. Number two, Dave, what I found is that when I tried to run this old supposed flash installer, what came up was something from, as I was hinting at before, something Apple has called, and we'll call it, and their official name for it is XProtect. So when I tried to run this bogus flash installer, Dave, it actually came up with a dialogue saying, installer, so before it would say, hey, you want to run this? Uh, yes or no. 
Now it says, installer will damage your computer. You should eject the disk image. It doesn't even give you an option to launch it, Dave. Wow. So you is and I awesome both what? helped. Uh, so what we did is by reporting it. So I reported it to developer relations at Apple. And, and, um, and apparently what they did is they incorporated this. And now it, it actually has an official name. What I found, and I, I won't take full credit. <laughs> I'll okay. take some credit, sure. but I'm sure other people report it to Apple as well. So we'll share the credit. But but I definitely report it to Apple, and it's now actually called OSX dot I'm sorry OS ten dot install imitator dot b malware. I can't help but laugh. It was your well, own because rant. you said well because you said clam. XAV and yeah, that kind of thing. It's like, so, sure. should you? So you said clam. Well, I don't know. How, I don't know what, what they prefer. But thing is, Dave. So I got an X protect warning. Don't you from, is that uh, a ten protect? protect? <laughs> Great minds, man. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know. Pete and I are having fun today. I had a really, cr- really frustrating week. Not a bad week, just right. a really frustrating week. So it's uh, all right. So for now, we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna back off, and we're gonna inter- for this episode, we will interchange X and ten. Okay, and it will be permitted and back off, man. What about ten right. X? So, anyways, say it says, <laughs> but it was you. You but, brought it up. I'm I'm okay with it. I'm I'm fine with it. In fact, it's just, just it's just job, ironic. Man. So right now. Uh, all right, let, let's qualify it. If you're talking about the operating system, it's OS 10. If you're talking about a word with the with the letter X in it, then it's X. How about that? Is, yeah, but what's are, are but, but, but I think clam the the thing clam the product C L A M X A V is built. It has the X in it because of OS the 10. X OS in OS 10. 10. Yes, so therefore, right. it's like you know, I don't know. It's a definite I, I, maybe. I, yeah, we're, right. we're well, I have no idea what they call it. We should ask. All right. So to the point here. So back on track, X protect says install. Uh, so what happens is this this mechanism built into OS 10 will not even allow you to launch this installer because it is now in their X protect database. Now, you may ask yourself, where is this X protect database, Dave? How would you even know where that is? And I'm going to tell you. And I found it, Dave. And it's actually a very cool feature of our friend Onyx. So if you go to Onyx, because I wondered this too. Now, the, the one thing is you could look at this um, uh, plist file, but that's you know that's a pain in the neck. Use Onyx, and you should be using Onyx anyways, because Onyx does all sorts of splendid, wonderful things for for all of us here. So if you go to Onyx, and I believe it's in the info section, and I'm, I'm running it right now, which I shouldn't be doing, but I will anyways. I think um, this one's sufficiently off the rails. We can we can do whatever we want. Yeah. No. Good. So I'm going to agree. No, I don't want to run that. No, I don't want to run that. They always ask that. And if you go to the info tab, it's going to take a moment to read info, but then there's going to be, I believe, a protection tab, and it will give you a list of all of the malware that OS 10 is equipped at that point in time to uh, warn you against, then we'll throw up this dialogue, which again, will not even let you run it. I'm sorry. Yes. So Onyx info protection. And then on the left side, you will see all of the malware and it'll tell you even the last time it was updated. So in my case here, and, and the case should be for anybody. So Apple does this sneakily in the background, which is okay 
for this. But in my case, Dave, it says, um, yeah, Wednesday, uh, so it's version 2065. Wednesday, July 15th is the last time they updated this database. So hats off to Apple. Thank you very much for doing this. Yeah. So the good news is that Apple eventually, so they don't do it through the gatekeeper mechanism. They do it through this malware detection signature thing. But hey, however they do it, it's, it's awesome for the users because it's going to prevent you from running stuff that's going to wreck your computer. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, the, thing is, the thing is, when I ran Clam, it also identified this because it's now in their database as well. Now, I'm trying to figure, I, I don't know who created the definition of it, whether it was Clam or Apple or whoever, sure. but it, it came up and it saw this image because I still have it stored on my computer in my Dropbox, you know. Yeah. Just just for forensics and, as, and looking at as it. As one does, yeah. Yeah, or I like to do. So um, so the thing is, I would say Clam, because it identified this along with Apple's tools, my, my answer to your question, Ian, is yes, I do believe Clam is worth the money because they are staying up to date, as is Apple. So that's my answer to that. Now... The thing is, though, is Dave, uh, like I told you, I've been fighting evil the whole week here, and I found John, another, John, I another question, though. What, what do you do if you got please. a Windows virus on your Mac? Well, I'm going to lead into that, too. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's fun. Oh, I thought that's so things, Dave, this week, this, this week, I got two, not one, but two bogus um, update dialogues. And I don't know where these are coming from, Dave. I, I don't surf to uh, questionable sites. But even if you do... I suspect there are more and more people out there that are infecting ad networks with bogus dialogue. So I got one saying, oh, you should update Safari. You are currently using Safari 8. Please download the latest browser version. And I clicked on the update and I got another one of these bogus installers. And actually, I got on the horn to Apple. I told them about it. I extracted the certificate of the developer because it didn't give the alert either. Like the last one I found an Apple. They were they were falling. They were like, dude. We are so happy that you told us about this. And I think that's the last time I did this. I think eventually they will include this in their database as well. So if you find one of these, I, I, I think the, the best thing, or at least what worked for me, unless we can find a better channel, Dave, um, we should ask Apple. But I called developer relations saying, look, I found an app with a certificate and, uh, and, and it's malware. And here's the info that I have. And, you know, do the right thing. And, and they're very thankful. So I would suggest everybody does that. Um, the thing that about this one, Dave, and this is why uh, what, what, what I scratched my head over is I posted it to my Facebook page. But when I saw it po posted to my Facebook page, it showed a dialogue for installing on Windows. And I'm like, ah, huh? well, that must be the default. You know what, right. Yeah. You know what these guys are doing? So then I went into Safari. And if you run Safari and you enable the developer menu, you can change your user agent. And I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me see. So I went into Safari and I changed my user agent to IE10. And then when I went to this same page, which I bookmarked, it said, oh, you have Internet Explorer 10. Let me give you a Windows downloader to install a new version of it. They're that smart. These, these people really aggravate me because they are using their technical knowledge for the forces of evil and not good, Dave. I, I couldn't believe they were actually this sophisticated. So if they see that you're running on a Mac, they'll say, hey, you want to download Safari? If they see you're running Windows, they're like, hey, you want to download IE10? It, it, it's reprehensible. And people have to shut these people down. 
And I'm going to post some links to help people do this. The, the, the final thing I'll lead out with, Dave, is that uh, I actually played with these people this week. So, so I was also surfing. And, I, and, and again, I think this comes from an ad network. And all of a sudden, I got an alert saying, there is a .NET framework file missing due to some harmful virus. Now, for people that don't know, .NET is a Windows framework, software sure. framework. It doesn't exist on the Mac. So I got this dialogue saying, please contact Microsoft technicians, blah, blah, blah. And it gave me a 1-800 number, a valid 1-800 number in the United States. And I called them and I played dumb and I'm like, oh, guys, what do I do? I, you know, I got this. Uh, and, and they did everything they could to try to remotely log into my machine and to try to, to trash it. Um, I'm going to post a link to the uh, Federal Trade Commission. Now, I'm not suggesting that you call 1-866-831-0815, which is the number of one of these groups to uh, run up their toll-free bill. I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that, Dave. Okay? Just want to be clear, right? What was yeah. that number you said don't call? <laughs> uh, 1-866-831-0815. Don't okay. call that, though, yeah. to run up their bill. Yeah, yeah, and don't ask for Ian or... Um, uh, I've got a few other names. Uh, certainly don't ask for Ian or any of the other people there. Now, the thing is, it wasn't an overseas call center. As far as I can tell, they're all in this country. They all speak uh, uh, American English. Um... But I, I decided just, I had nothing to do at the time. I, I decided to burn a couple of hours of my time to just keep them on the phone so they wouldn't be hurting other people. But it's terrible what, they, what they're doing. And, and the FTC is actually aware of this. So the, this is the Federal Trade Commission. This is one of the government groups in the U.S. that uh, tries to cover this sort of fraud. And, and it's reprehensible to me. Um, so I'm going to get them shut down. Actually, I told one of them, you know, uh, when they tried to break into my computer, I said, you know what, you got to think about your life choices. And I'm going to shut you down. And they said, good luck with that. And I'm like, we're on. So I'm protecting you and we are protecting you from evil. Speaking of life choices, life, the, uh, the band started playing. Speaking of evil. Oh, I mean, life choices. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address to which you can send your questions. Your rants, your tips, your cool stuff found, whatever it is, send it to us. We'd love to hear it. Really? Really? What was that, Pete? Did you hear that? Evil feedback at MacGeekGab.com? I do no, hear no, that. No, no, no. We, we cannot add that. We are okay. not going to Do have. not write to evil feedback at MacGeekGab.com. It's off I'm the rails. Sorry. I think yeah. we should just write. I'm going to correct you there, Pete. You should write to feedback. At I'm with you. I or agree. if you are a premium supporter of this show, and if you are, our sincere thanks go out to you. We really appreciate uh, you going out of your way to um, help us do what we do here. And we really, we really do appreciate it. You can learn about that at MacGeekGab.com. And one of the benefits you get for doing what you do is your email gets prioritized at premium at MacGeekGab.com. So you folks can send there. Anyone, however... It's welcome to call us at 206-666-GEEK, a number which has been uh, available to us for 10 years for some unknown reason and hopefully continues for 10 more. John, geek is? Four, three, three, five. How else can people contact us, Dave? What, what, what's our choice this week? MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook is the place to go. We have an awesome right. community over there. Folks uh, answering your questions, asking questions. It's a, it's awesome. It's the place you want to go to hang out with other Mac Geek Gab users, as long or listeners rather, as long as you're a Facebook user. So, and and you can become one. It, of course, that's free. 
But I get it if you don't want to become one. But if you are one, face uh, macgeekab.com slash Facebook. I, I, I realize that sounds reversed, but that's correct. That gets you to the crazy little URL of our group. Uh, of course, you can just search for it on Facebook if you like as well. As always, uh, our sincere thanks goes out to Michael Johnston. We've been doing the uh, the timestamps while we record. Today was no different, but Michael has helped us with those in the chapters for uh, a decade now. So uh, our sincere thanks go out to him. He produces the iOS show podcast as well as getappler.com. So check both of those out. Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to send the show from us to you. And we certainly appreciate that from them. As we mentioned during the show, imazing.com. You got to check it out. You'll love it. Trust me on this. Squarespace.com slash MGG, of course, is another great place to get uh, to go. Check out your build a website there. Smile at uh, smilesoftware.com. Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Barebones Software at barebones.com. And Pilot Pete has something to say. Any of you guys got any Twitters? You didn't cover those. Oh, we, don't, we didn't. Oh, we didn't. And that was intentional. Oh, okay. Right. We'll I'm do with that you. next week. That's all right. Well, then, you know what? You almost did, but in the future, don't get caught. Made up.